June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes, like more pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. We call this Deep Sales, and we've built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com trial. That is linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash trial and get started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody, and welcome aboard another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week coming from Panama City, Panama. The trip down there allowed me to have extended conversations with three movers and shakers on the world tourism stage. Ivan Eskildsen, the Minister of Tourism of Panama. Niels Olsen, the Minister of Tourism of Ecuador. And then I stopped by the headquarters of an airline most of you have never flown, let alone heard of. But it's an amazing hub and spoke operation and connects the world through Panama City. And that's Copa. I'll speak with Pedro Halbrun. He's the CEO of Copa. It's an airline that flies to 70 destinations as well as 16 cities in North America. This efficient, well-run airline boasts connecting times of 30 minutes with time to spare. Copa is a Latin America success story, even now as they emerge from the pandemic. First up, Ivan Eskildsen, the Minister of Tourism of Panama. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, 
voices. Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Ivan, nice to see you again. It's great to see you again. Last time we saw each other was probably in Ecuador in the other previous edition, two and a half years ago. I know. It's been a long time, but I'm glad to always be back in Panama. And I guess the first question is going to be is, I mean, it's an obvious question. As the world slowly emerges from the pandemic, and hopefully it gets to be an endemic, um, as the world now tries to tackle with the terrible situation in Ukraine, and uh, all the, you know, the ripple effect and the cascading effect of that, you know, we've gone from one crisis to another. We're living in a world of disruption. Uh, how has Panama been able to weather the storm and navigate what, uh, what essentially is uncharted waters? Well, the, the challenges are certainly not, um, you know, let's say static. They, they continue to come. Uh, where when we thought that uh, one year was a long time for the pandemic, here we are, two years later, and we're still dealing with uh, the new episodes that they bring. And now, as you mentioned, with a situation, a difficult situation in, in Ukraine. So for us, uh, the the answer or the solution is always keeping an eye open, keeping a short um, communication and, and continuous communication with the private sector to see how we can capitalize on the short-term opportunities while not losing the, the sight on the medium and long-term, which is really the the main focus of the strategy we are implementing in Panama with a brand new uh, sustainable tourism master plan. Well, let's back up a second and just go back about two years mm-hmm. to when we knew nothing about COVID. Mm-hmm. We were basically, you know, flying in the dark. Uh, how did you quickly adjust or did you quickly adjust? And what lessons did you learn from a public health perspective about how to go forward? Well, I think nobody had a handbook, right? Uh, and uh, every country implemented uh, uh, strategies the best way they could. In, in our case, uh, let's say Panama adopted more con- conservative strategies as far as the restrictions are concerned. Uh, and this uh, now obviously um, impacts or has been impacted uh, in the way that you know we are now trying to work our way out of it, even though our, our restrictions are are now mostly freed and we have been working on, on you know, just accepting the, the vaccination certificate. There was a previous uh, decree uh, installed a few, uh, like a month ago, uh, confirming um, this fact to, to, to liberate, for example, um, the COVID testing when people for for travelers that are, are uh, that are vaccinated right so so for us the main uh let's say takeaway from this uh this very very crazy times that we all lived uh, is just uh crisis management and how to work as a, as a team with the private sector with the rest of the governmental institutions including the minister of health and try to find solutions that um really work their way across the board you know, from a consumer perspective, one of the subtexts that people didn't really talk about, but they sure thought about it a lot, and every once in a while they'd vocalize it to me is, you know, I really want to go to X, could be Panama. I really want to go to Y, could be, you know, someplace else in the Caribbean, but I don't want to go and get stuck mm-hmm. and not be able to get back home. 
And what we saw, at least in some government levels, like Costa Rica did one, Mexico, some, some Mexican governments did, and the different states did another. But we really saw it in the private sector, where a lot of the private sector quickly pivoted and said, okay, we're going to cover you. If you come here and you test positive for COVID, we'll put you up at our expense and take care of you and fly you home. I mean, that was to really give everybody that security blanket. And here's the interesting thing, Mr. Minister. I went back and tried to do a, 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 a survey of how many people actually went and got tested positive and stayed there for two weeks and got flown home. The answer is very, very few. But they loved going there because at least they knew they were protected. Absolutely. Again, uh, we were talking about how we can really manage the situation and make the most uh, out of uh, also specific opportunities. In our case, for example, we were the first country in Latin America to uh, to announce a strategy to uh, receive um, tourists that would like to get vaccinated. This was, this was back in October of, uh, of last year. Um, so we quickly decided to start a promotional campaign So you'd fly here to get vaccinated. To get vaccinated. So uh, because <laughs> because Latin America, uh, you know, doesn't always have Latin Americans don't always have, um, let's say, a visa for the U.S. Um, so we try uh, a point or, or, or focus on attracted on attracting those travelers that had not traveled to the U.S. to get vaccinated because the U.S. was the first country to to have a very you know um, advanced uh, vaccination implementation. So a lot of the, let's say, the people that had visas from our countries went to the U.S. to get vaccinated. So again, the strategy was focused on unvaccinated travelers that didn't have a visa that we wanted to get vaccinated. So again, trying to make the most out of a difficult situation, but always trying to uh, see how we can manage that crisis. We're talking to Ivan Eskildsen, the Minister of Tourism of Panama. Ivan, I'm going to go back about probably eight years. Mm -hmm. And I landed in Panama. I was here doing a story for CBS News. And as I got off the plane, there was a guy there, and he handed me a piece of paper. I thought, oh, it's another form to sign. I didn't even want to take it. He said, no, take it. And I, I'm reading it before I go to passport control, and it's a letter to me from one of your predecessors, Minister of Tourism, saying, we want you to feel safe in Panama, and so, by, by the way, this is your insurance. While you're here, if you get sick or any reason at all, we'll take care of you. You're already covered. I'm like going, how cool is that? Are you still doing that? Actually, that stopped before this government. And then when COVID hit, we, we proposed it uh, to re-implement it or to reactivate it. And it was presented to the board. And at that moment, the analysis turned out that it was uh, too expensive for the result. And so the board uh, did not approve it. But it, we, I do recognize that back then it was a very successful strategy. You it was. You, you remember it very well. I do. Right? How, so could I, you, how could you not remember a country that says we're taking care of you the minute you hit our soil? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so this is something we certainly haven't, let's say, completely discarded, <laughs> right, for, for a future strategy because I, I, I believe it certainly was a very good strategy. Now, outside of the, just the North American or the U.S. market, Uh, you know, you are an international destination. After all, it is the Panama Canal. How many people don't realize the revenue that canal brings in for your country? Because, you know, everybody's focused now on supply chain disruption, mm -hmm. things not getting through. How many ships are going through the Panama Canal as we're speaking right now? Well, if you go out the, the, the window here from this hotel, you can see the line of, of uh, you know, a very long line of ships waiting to get in. So, you know, it's something you to get in the line and to, you know, make sure 
you want to go through, you have to plan well ahead. So yeah, Panama really is um, a, a hub as for logistics, for the commercial connection. Uh, also connected now to um, air connectivity because you know we we have this uh, truly exceptional, uh, uh, let's say, natural characteristic as a geo uh, and geostrategic positioning that makes Panama unique and, and that brings with it uh, just a long history. It's, of, a, it's the two oceans. Yeah, it's the two oceans and the, and the narrow being the narrowest point in the America. So so that, so what turned out to be the Panama Canal was actually thought by the King Charles V of Spain when he was when when the Spaniards had the the you know Panama as a colony back in 1513. Obviously back then they thought it was a crazy idea. Hey, look, the Spaniards said everybody is a colony out here. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so really and, and this again 200 uh, 300 years later It was the first uh, interoceanic railway that was built by the U.S. and, and inaugurated in 1855. So always the theme of the connectivity, the meeting point, and now the, the hub that we are working as a, both the air connectivity, an events hub, a cruise uh, hub as well. So everything that you know, can be benefited from this uh, potential in connectivity and, and the not only by sea, but by air and, and land, is uh, something that we can do well and that we continue to see a lot of opportunities. Let's just talk quickly about some numbers. In terms of annual revenue, is Panama Canal numero uno? As far as... Um, revenue in, for the country. Well, um, actually, as far as the region, in the, let's say, the interoceanic yeah. zone, it is. When we, actually, when you go um, nationwide... And you add, for example, to tourism, when you add um, uh, the air um, G air to the GDP or the airlines to the GDP, actually tourism, tourism. G tourism actually represents more of a percentage. So many people realize, or don't realize, I should say, the true importance of airlift to any country's economy. Because without it, everything dries up, right? There's shipping, of course, but in terms of the flow of, of, of people and money and business, it's coming in by plane. Uh, We saw what happened, you know, and the only time we actually realize this is if an, a volcano erupts in Iceland and the world travel shuts down for five days, or, or, or God forbid, 9-11, and we shut down travel in the United States for five days. Uh, how difficult is it for you to convince the other ministers in your government about the importance of airlift? Because you need more of it. You don't need less of it. Absolutely. I mean, everything that, you know, uh, we talked to actually today that... Um, Everything in relation to tourism is so has such an impact on other areas of the government that, that it is a permanent conversation with other ministers. And that's also why our president created in this administration a tourism cabinet. So air connectivity is not an exception. In this case, for example, another government entity manages the airport. There's a different uh, entity also that is a, our, our aeronautic uh, administrative entity. Uh, but then also... You know, there's migration with, uh, from the Minister of Ministry of Security and other areas that have such an impact that, that this conversation is constant in how, on how can we, you know, work together to attract, and uh, well, obviously during the, during the pandemic was to reactivate um, the airlift that we had previous to the pandemic, Panama as a, uh, Panama City as the most connected city in Latin America. But now we're certainly now obviously thinking of how can we continue attracting new routes to connect new cities and thus new through markets. Panama, through yes, Panama. exactly. You know, a shout out to your airline, Copa, because if you look at their route network, it's amazing. 
if I need to go from Los Angeles to Montego Bay, I'm coming through Panama. People don't, I don't have to go through Miami. I don't have to go through Charlotte. It's a, it's a better connection. And if I'm going through further south into South America, once again, it's Copa. You know, they only operate one, they're, they're sort of like the, the southwest, if you'll excuse the expression, of Panama because they only operate one type of airplane, right? That means they're only training one type of crew. They can do quick turnarounds. They can turn a plane in 25 minutes. Uh, and it's a very efficient airline. But if you look at the map, and I wish most of my listeners would do that, you would see all the opportunities you have here if you hub in Panama, of course, and the Minister of Tourism didn't tell me to say this, but if you're going to hub in Panama, you might as well come and stay a few days because why wouldn't you? It's right here. Absolutely, and it is the, the, the hidden gem, the, 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 the place to discover in the sense that Panama hadn't really developed as a tourist destination, uh, and Panama City has been a vibrant business hub for, for years now, but now we are uncovering, or, or yes, uh, let's say uncovering these uh, potentialities throughout the country, in our beaches, in our mountains, uh, in general, in, in our jungle. And so the nature and the culture integrated in this very, very unique destination. Well, you're so, talking about new hiking and biking trails. You're talking about exactly. I mean, all sorts of connectivity within two hours of Panama City. Exactly. So that's, that's the wonder of Panama. It's a safe country. It's well-connected. And being small, it's short distances to get to know very, very different cultures, very, very different ecosystems, uh, and beaches, and, and all sorts of uh, different experiences. You know, if you've never been to Panama before, and you think I'm just being overtly touristic here, I'm not, every chance I get, I come back and I retake the tour of the Panama Canal. It's one of the most fascinating history lessons you'll ever get, because we think, oh yeah, the Americans built it. Really? Let's go back and look at it. Oh my God, how many thousands of people died before we got involved? I mean, does the word malaria ring a bell? Oh my, I mean, the French, everybody else who came in here failed. They failed, and finally somebody broke through, and, and, it, and it changed the course of history, didn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, it, it helped back then to, for the U.S. Uh, let's say it was a turning point as far as geostrategic power worldwide, because thanks to the Panama Canal, the U.S. was able to sort of control, had a better control of the, of the seas, right? Obviously then, the canal passed through Panamanian hands, and then for us, it was also a big, big game changer, now providing a very, very important source of income for the government yearly. Uh, and, and you mentioned the, the, all this history, and it, it goes back and back and back and back, because I mentioned the Panama first interoceanic railway um, the, and other elements that have always been in relation to our to our, let's say, our rich history in connection to our uh, strategic positioning. Well, you talk about the Spanish colonizing here. Yeah. What about the U.S.? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, until 1978, we were it. In fact, the currency here is still the, the U.S. Dollar. dollar. That's right. Unbelievable. you got to right. get over to the old Canal Authority, take a look at those buildings there, but go in the visitor center and look at the old trains that they're using to, to move those ships through the, through the locks. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It really is. And I would add also, if you haven't done it, to go with a boat in the Panama Canal, uh, in an excursion, you can see the huge ships right above you, but then you go into the jungle, you go see indigenous villages of indigenous peoples right there. So the proximity of all of these variety of experiences and, and just being in the tropics and having uh, the opportunity to engage directly and have contact with these pristine, pristine environments is such a great opportunity. Well, it's not just the proximity, it's the juxtaposition. You're dealing with centuries-old villages, and all of a sudden, 
big super tankers coming through. It's unreal. What a great thing. My thanks to Minister Eskelson. And now for another perspective, I talked with Niels Olsen. He's the Minister of Tourism of Ecuador. Mr. Minister, welcome. Hola, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. And I should say in the interest of full disclosure, you actually spent some time in Baton Rouge. I did. I went to LSU for four years, so I'm a tiger. Uh, yeah, you are a tiger. You still have the purple and, and, and yellow? Of course, okay. always. Well, here's to a better football season next year. <laughs> we don't want to talk about the football season no, this year. No, let's talk about Ecuador. Okay, good, okay. <laughs> All right, but at least I'm talking to a tiger. Um, bottom line is, we've had a really rough two and a half years. It's going to stay pretty rough, at least for the end of this year, if you're looking at the tourism as a whole. Things are getting better, but we've gone from one major headline, which is COVID, to another, which is Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We're looking at rising fuel prices, rising airfares, going up at the rate of about, they were going up at the rate of about 7% every 10 days. Now they're going up about every 7% every three days because of this knee-jerk reaction to the fuel prices. And then there's, of course, a change in demand because of the situation in Ukraine. It's not just the airspace over Ukraine. It's 60% of the airspace over the world that suddenly shut off, and people are, like, afraid. So from a country that depends on tourism as much as you do, how do you pivot? How do you figure out a way to give people their security blanket, if you will, to give them confidence? Um, And it can't just be by discounting. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Crazy times. I think this is a time to push, push, push very, very hard. So from uh, we've been in, in, in this, uh, our government has been in place for 10 months now. And now we have a very strategic marketing plan and pr- pr- uh, promotion plan. So we're going to be very aggressive to promote Ecuador as a safe destination because it is. It's full of beautiful people, beautiful uh um, land uh, experiences, authentic and genuine. Um, and I can say we did one of our special royal tours a number of years ago with your then president. We had an amazing time. We went to see things we didn't even know existed. I mean, we of course we did Quito, we did Guayaquil, but we did so many other places. It was just like, oh my God, who knew? Where did you go? We went everywhere. Did you went to uh, the Amazon rainforest? We well, did. You said you missed Cuenca, which we is missed, we an missed Cuenca. absolutely we, amazing, I know. beautiful We city. didn't get to Cuenca, which is a beautiful city. But no, we did the rainforest. We were doing crazy stuff in the jungle. I mean, it was, it was great. That's beautiful. You have to come back and, and let me know when you come back. I'll take you to Cuenca and all of those uh, different places that you didn't visit. All right. You, you realize we're on the air and you just made me an offer. Of course. Okay, good. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> but... Okay, it's one thing to say we're going to push, push, push and make sure that people know it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. Telling them that is one thing. Showing them that is another, right? How do, you, how do you change hearts and minds when people are starting out with such fear? Look, we have an amazing project called Ecuador Film Residency where we're inviting high-quality content creators to Ecuador to travel all around our country and from a very authentic and genuine perspective to tell their audience storytellers storytellers exactly and we already had um, two uh, content creators they came to Ecuador they did uh, an amazing video an amazing storytelling and it comes from their heart so I think nowadays we have to um, it's not about like the old days where you promote a country with a with an ad uh, but it's all more about um, advertisements I hate to say it may not sell it Mm -hmm. and and uh you know, and promotions may not sell it, and discounting may not sell it. 
I don't. Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, suggest uh, the business to lower their prices. I think Ecuador has so much beautiful things to offer that we're undervalued. You know, you, you mentioned two things that I want to talk about, and hotels are are so guilty of this, and the travel industry is too. You don't need to be competitive on rate anymore. You need to be competitive on value. That's what you need to be competitive on, so people really understand. Not the, not, you know, I've always said, if you can understand the process and appreciate the process, that's when you value the product. I agree 100%. And that nowadays, travelers are looking for these unique experiences that Ecuador has to offer. And it's all about creating the perfect travel experience to the traveler and not about uh, giving discounts to your clients. When people make a decision to come to Ecuador in this environment, they almost have to like make a conscious decision, I'm going in spite of something, right? I'm going no matter what everybody else tells me, right? So when you meet with them, what do they tell you? You know, Peter, I've been traveling since I was 15, 16 years old, not only in Ecuador, but all over the world. I started as a backpacker and I, I, I come from the private sector and I've worked in different hotels in, in Ecuador. So I have a very close relationship with travelers who come to visit us in Ecuador. And one of the things that I, that I, the thing that I hear the most when they come to Ecuador is People. people of Ecuador are so friendly, so hospitable, and they make the experience to travel in Ecuador unique. And it's so beautiful to hear that because um, in the hotels that I worked in Ecuador before, I see in the rural areas how tourism gives an amazing new opportunity opportunities for um, people in the like women in the, in the in the rural area for example they found a, an amazing opportunity to work in tourism and to see how they grow in the in the in the industry how uh, they are an amazing cooks they're amazing guides they're an amazing hostess but especially at a time right now where everybody's suffering from job shortages and staff shortages I mean they can't fill the positions yeah and you know like for example in the rural areas you can have uh, a new hotel opening or operating in Ecuador and it's employing about 30 40, 40 people in, from that local community that they used to work in the banana or the cacao or the flower plantations which is a more uh, type of like a very rough job instead of they come in the tourism sector that Gives, gives way better salaries, better uh, experience working in, the, in our industry. So I think, I really believe that tourism ha needs to be the, the vehicle for development of, of, of our countries. And, and you're doing that, but of course you do have those challenges of staffing shortages, you have challenges of fuel prices, mm -hmm. right? Even though, you know, there's some oil going on, it's still a problem. Yeah, I mean, there are always going to be issues, but we need to be very smart and strategic on how we solve those challenges. But there are always, I mean, tourism is a very dynamic sector. Uh, it's very sensitive to the outside world. So we have to keep pace of it. You almost have to anticipate it. Exactly. You need to be anticipated and act very quickly. Now, of course, one of the biggest problems that every country faces, and this is pre-pandemic as well, is airlift, mm -hmm. right? You can't build it, and they can't come if they can't get on a plane and get there, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. So we, we in Ecuador, we what we're doing is working very hard in promotion, but at the same time, we need to build bridges. So we need to work um, the connectivity of Ecuador. We 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 cut down taxes for the airline industry for them to come back to Ecuador. We're uh, signing open skies agreement with the U.S., which is our biggest market. So we are on the on the on the right step. Explain what an open skies uh, agreement means to America. All right. So well, basically, uh, back in the day, so let's say a couple of months ago, there were only a specific limit of of, of flights, flights and seats, flights and seats from the states to Ecuador and to Ecuador um, to the states. So the the American government said, hey, let's eliminate that limit but we need to have the same treaties so for example ecuador used to charge five percent tax for american companies that brought their money from ecuador back to the states so in order to sign that open skies agreement we needed to eliminate that tax we've done it so we're taking uh steps in the right direction and now you just got to find an airline that wants to come well, there are a couple of them. So they were super happy because now we have flights from Ecuador to Costa Rica that we didn't have before. We have new airlines flying from Guayaquil to New York. So the results have been very uh, immediate. And that's just the beginning. I remember my first flight from Ecuador back to the United States was on Equatoriana. Mm. And it was on an old 707 that had been basically discarded by Pan Am. <laughs> and we had to land first in Guayaquil, because we couldn't carry enough fuel because of the altitude of Quito. Then we had to stop in Mexico City. And then we finally got to LA. This was a milk run like you couldn't believe. But it was amazing to see all the hoops that that airline had to jump through just to get from Quito to Los Angeles. And needless to say, Equatoriana is no longer with us. Yeah, now we have a new Ecuadorian airline that is flying domestically. Uh, it's called Air. And we're hoping, crossing fingers, they start flying internationally very soon. And now connectivity with the U.S. is better than before. We have direct connectivity with five cities in the, in the States, which are New York, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Atlanta, and Houston. Right, now you got to get Los Angeles in there. Yes, that's, my, that's something that we want to achieve the next year. All we're right. working hand-in-hand hand with the airline industry and with the airports as well. Well, just make sure they don't look at you as a bastard child and they actually treat you with respect. <laughs> That's the biggest problem that all the countries in Latin America have with U.S. airlines. Yeah, no, I think we have a very professional relationship and things are for the better in the near future. My thanks to Minister Olson. Now, if you're looking to get from point A to point B, most folks would never consider taking this airline. But it turns out to be one of the better, more efficient carriers. Not many Americans know it. And yet Copa, based in Panama, flies to all the major cities in the U.S., but if you just use the airline not just to go to Panama, but through it, Copa could be the right connection. Pedro Heilbrunn, the airline CEO, has figured out the fine art of gate-to-gate -gate international connections. And it all happens in Panama City. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.
Welcome, sir. Hi, Peter. So let's talk about it because if I want to go, for example, from Los Angeles to Jamaica or Los Angeles to Central America or Los Angeles down to South America, in many cases, it makes a whole lot more sense to go through Panama. You've, you've hubbed it here to the point where, and you've got your turnaround times down. I, mean, I like to call you guys like the Southwest Airlines of, of Latin America simply because you're flying one type of equipment. Uh, you're training everybody in one type of equipment, which, it's, which is really efficient. And you've perfected the art of turnaround. Yes, so we, we are in a way very similar. Yeah, our single fleet type is the Boeing 737, the 800s, and the MAX 9s right now. And we serve cities of all sizes. The most cities, actually, of any hub in Latin America, in the Americas. So, as and that's, many, a, that's a secret, more or less. Uh, yeah, to many passengers, not to our frequent travelers, but to many travelers and many passengers it is. Uh, we serve like 16 cities in North America, including Canada, and all of Latin America, including many small cities you have never heard of. Well, you, you probably have heard of well, them. Give me, give me an example. Well, Chiclayo in Peru, or Bucaramanga in Colombia, uh, to name, name two. Uh, so these are cities that not a lot of people know, but at the same time are cities that are not connected. And when this whole hub concept started for COPA, uh, the vision was to connect cities that were, were not connected to the rest of the continent and cities where people thought there was no traffic and that's why they were not connected. And we said, well, how can there be traffic if there are no flights? The flight has to come first. And, you know, if the you, rest of If you build it, they will come. That was our approach at the beginning, actually. Yeah. yeah. And now you're, what, 70 different destinations? So, well, we were 80 before the pandemic. We have reactivated about 70. And we've actually also added a few new cities. We've added three new cities, cities including Atlanta in the U.S., so basically, you're out of L.A., New York, Atlanta, I'm assuming Chicago. San Francisco, Las Vegas, Chicago, Tampa, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, Boston, Washington, and New Orleans. We haven't reactivated yet. And I think then Toronto and Montreal and like four cities in Mexico and a bunch of cities down south. But all connecting here in Panama City. Everything connects through our hub, what we call the hub of the Americas in Panama, and our schedules are timed for really fast connections. And this is something we do six times in the day. So we have six connecting So you have, you have six push times? That's correct. Wow. Yes. That's a lot. So from like six in the morning to 10 at night, there are flights coming in and out of our Hope of the Americas in Panama, and all, all operating in, in very well-programmed uh, connecting banks. So basically, you know, it's one thing to fly from A to B, but if the layover in B is 10 hours, it sort of defeats the purpose. That is correct. So what's your, what's your shortest turnaround time? It's, I think our minimum connect time is 30 minutes. And uh, these are all international flights when you add to it. It's all international. Wow. Uh, but, but Panama has the advantage of gate-to-gate -gate international connections. 
Uh, so we make them very fast and very convenient for the passengers. But there's also great shopping at Tokumen International <laughs> Airport. So you some, had to throw that in. Okay. That is correct. So sometimes passengers actually Miss choose. Flights. No, they actually choose a longer connection. Having a, having a, a more immediate uh, flight, they might choose a la later schedule. You know, I have to, to tell you, that's, that. that's true for me. There's a, at the Milwaukee Airport in Wisconsin, there's a used rare bookstore. It's called Renaissance Books. It's independently owned. I'm a big supporter of independent bookstores. And I literally, once a year, will plan a flight that will lay over in Milwaukee for five hours for the only purpose of going to that there. store. That's yeah. correct. And how many times are you in a meeting in a city where you know the airport is quite attractive and having time to spare instead of waiting in the hotel, you go early to the airport? Because maybe there's a bookstore or maybe there's a restaurant you're looking for, and, and it's a, actually an attractive place to wait. Let's shift gears for a second, because obviously we're living in a disrupted world. We're living in a world that's turned upside down and inside out, uh, and it affects you just as it affects everybody else. It's one thing to be considered a low fare carrier on one end, or a business class airline on another. How do you describe COPA in the world that we live in today? Oh, we, I would say, ah, that's a good question. So we are a, an efficient and consistent airline that caters to all kinds of passengers because that, that's the only way to grow and be successful in a place like Latin America, where we're from and where we have our, our only hub. Uh, so that means that we have to cater to business travelers we also have to cater to leisure passengers and to the visiting friends and relatives segment. And they all have different needs and they all look at different, uh, there are different things about the airline that are, that are more important to each one of those. So we have a strong frequent flyer program, an amazing alliance with United, and we're a member of Star Alliance. Uh, you have the same colors as United. We have, well, that comes from the Continental days. I know. Where Continental used to own 49% of Copa. Uh, so we have that. We have a very good and are inaugurating a, a great a VIP club, a Copa club in Panama, the new, the new terminal. So we have all that for the business traveler. But, but we also have very we're very cost effective in terms of, of, of our unit cost, and we can offer the pricing that a leisure traveler uh, needs and demands, uh, as well as a network of very attractive destinations in the Caribbean. And same for the VFR traffic. Visiting so, friends and relatives. Right, so, so we actually cater to all of those segments. If we're looking at the trend in the last two years, uh, the decimation of, of the pandemic, of what's going on in Ukraine, how things are starting to come back, and the way they're coming back, wasn't it really a big surprise that it was led by the leisure travelers, right? That's what came back last summer, almost with a vengeance, right? You were filling a lot of planes with people saying, I've got to get out, I've got to go. Is that still happening? Oh, we're st yeah, we're still seeing that. It was, I guess, one of the big surprises from the pandemic, how fast leisure traffic was going to come back. We were not prepared for that, but uh, we were very happy to see it. So that, that trend continues today. Business traffic in itself is probably still about half of what it was pre-pandemic, but leisure is above, and VFR is holding steady. Uh, so we have to adapt, which means more promos and more leisure destinations 
and and so leisure will continue to, to lead the way we think so yeah in years to come definitely and of course then it gets blurred because the business traveler will stay an extra two nights or the leisure traveler will get a business thing done because let's face it we've gone in a world from working from the office to working from home to working from anywhere so you're seeing what we call the great migration of people moving to secondary and tertiary cities to be able to live and work there, and they may not be coming back to the office. They may be doing their business travel from a place that never had business travel before. That is true. We've seen a little bit of that, maybe not that much. But what we have seen is, which again, it was kind of the big surprise from the pandemic, is that people want to get out. They want to get out and travel, be it for business or for leisure, mostly for leisure, but, but or visiting friends and relatives. For, for some reason, and I, I, we could all guess those reasons because we were affected also. No one went unharmed by the pandemic. Uh, people were shocked by it, yeah. and one of the responses is traveling. It's, it's just getting out of home, getting out of their countries, doing the stuff they didn't do for over a year. But it's or also, two, or two. Or two. But it's also just continuing doing that, traveling and, and going to leisure destinations and enjoying life in a way, especially for those that can afford it, because there's, we know there's still people impacted by, by, by the pandemic. We're talking also about this growth of a new subclass called digital nomads, people who literally are being encouraged by countries with different visa requirements now, or, or relaxation of visa requirements, to come and do an extended stay in that country. Yeah, so Panama is one of those countries that came out with a digital nomad visa, which is in effect right now. And I don't know all the details, but, but it gives all kinds of, of, of uh, benefits, and, and especially the right to stay here for, for you know, much longer than a normal tourist. Uh, yeah, my, my understanding is it's up to two years. Yeah. And so the question that I have is, when you think about cost of living in Panama, which has always been attractive, right? Right. It's always been, how many Americans have retired here? That is correct. Right? Former military and then people just retiring. If you look at the healthcare here in Panama, every major U.S. hospital and clinic is represented here. So you have that built into the thing. Somebody comes down here to work for two years, then the question becomes... At the end of the two years, what makes you think they want to go home? <laughs> what makes you think, what, what's going to happen then? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a great thing for countries like Panama. You will describe us, and there are a lot of benefits. Uh, security is another one, and world-class standards to go with all of that. So it's a great place for a digital nomad, and I hopefully that segment grows. We're dealing with our own digital nomads, which is... Uh, our own employees are enjoying working from home, so, so that's also going on. Are they ever going to come back to the office? Well, we're, we came back this Monday, but, but in a hybrid mode. Some, some will work some days from home, and it, it's up to each person. I, you know, I, I feel really good working from my office here. I in understand. Copa. But, you know, once in a while, there, there are good reasons for staying home, so, you know. Now, let's talk about, uh, as an airline executive, you know, the two intangibles that you really can't control are labor and fuel. I mean, that's every airline has that challenge, especially fuel now. Right. Uh, with what's going on in the Ukraine, 
with with uh, oil prices spiking above $100, I should say $120 a barrel for the first time in maybe 14 years. Uh, you know, airlines are usually very quick to pivot simply because you're always adjusting your fares and the computer systems hundreds of thousands of times a day. Every airline does that. But in this situation, you know, you were on your way back. All the airlines are on the way back, and now the fuel hits. That's got to affect ticket prices. Yeah, definitely. But it's, but it's also a time where it's, it's harder to pass it through to the customer. When the last time fuel went through the roof in 2008, at least in Latin America, the economies were extremely strong. The currencies were valuable. It's a whole different environment right now, especially coming out of a pandemic. So it's a lot harder to pass on that cost, that fuel cost, uh, to customers. Airlines will try. We will try, but we, will, we know we won't be as successful as back in 2008, the last time we went through something like that. What's the tipping point, I guess? Because I just you know, flew in here from Los Angeles where it cost me, I'm not making this up, to, to fill my tank in my car, $6.29 a gallon. A gallon. Now, there's got to be a tipping point above which you just can't tolerate that. Uh, a lot of people are saying, well, we're still so addicted to our cars, we can strap four members of our family in the car and put granny on the roof hmm. and amortize our costs and still be able to travel on a dry vacation. Airline tickets is a different story because you're pricing it per ticket, of course, and those numbers can go very high. There will be some of that, especially because that vacation, that driving vacation can be a lot closer to home than whatever was planned for before fuel got so expensive, especially in the U.S., where it's so easy to drive and there's so many places to drive to. So if someone wants to go to the Caribbean, has to fly there, uh, but maybe that Caribbean trip can wait. Uh, who knows? It's, it's hard to tell. Uh, we do think that this will be another cycle. We've gone through this so many times before that we know that fuel prices would not stay that high. And, you know, in the meantime, we just have to be very, very efficient and very nimble in everything we do. Well, there was a time when some airlines were really, you know, rolling the dice and hedging their fuel prices. Right. Southwest did that notoriously, and they did it right. well. Then you had Delta that went out there and thought, oh, we'll solve the problem. We'll buy our own refinery. Right. That didn't quite work out for them. How have you been able to handle your fuel costs? Yeah, we're not hedged. We used to be hedged in the old days, and it never worked out. So, so, you know, we decided that we were never going to beat the market. And over time, it was not going to work out. It was just going to be a premium that we would pay over our fuel costs. So we haven't been hedged for, I don't know, probably five or six years. And we're fine with that. And we know that this cycle will end and it will go back to something uh, approaching normal. You know, the algorithms that the airlines used to use before the pandemic to be able to project demand or set prices, I think you had to throw all those out, right? They don't make any sense anymore. So what are you depending on to project demand now? Well, it was very difficult to project demand coming out of the pandemic. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but, but we, we were shut down for over five months. We didn't fly in 2020. We started flying in the last quarter. 
and and you were literally shut down. We were shut down 100%. We parked every aircraft, and and it was not until the fourth quarter where we started flying in a in a normalized way, but again a very small percentage of of our previous flights or or hours, uh, and as we started growing, uh, demand was all guesswork. We had no way, no way to have any idea of how to forecast demand. So we just went with it and we scheduled flights and, and depending... If people showed up, they showed up. Well, yeah, and then we had to, depending on the bookings coming in, we would add capacity or cut back capacity. We did as much adding as we did cutting back sure. and canceling like never before, which is not great for customers, by the way. But now we're at a point where it's a lot easier to predict demand. We have over a year of actually flying. And now you, have, you can see the trends. And we can see the trends, so, so, so it's a lot easier now. My thanks to Pedro, to Minister Olson, and Minister Eskelson. And my thanks to you for listening to the Special Eye on Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and there's a ton of it, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Eye on Travel podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis-Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Eye on Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Eye on Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital edition wherever you get your books.